This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast, episode 41. Today, I have with me Eric Crump. Eric's been uh, actually on a previous episode, and what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about some questions from listeners. So this is going to be a, a listener's question and answer. We have all sorts of neat stuff about color blindness and also uh, whether they should get into aviation. People have been asking quite a few uh, questions about what they need to do to move forward in their career also. And what uh, this the great thing is 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 you is, is you the listener I, I really appreciate your writing in and everything you say here really helps us out so if you could and you have a question and you think somebody can benefit from it or if you're somebody that wants to say something I could read something right here online if you have some advice for for our listeners I'd really appreciate you going to aviationcareerspodcast.com and actually clicking on the contact button and writing in like a, 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 a suggestion or anything that'd be wonderful well, welcome to the show, Eric. It's great to great to have you back on. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, it's uh, before we get started, uh, we're in. You are in sunny and beautiful Winter Haven, Florida, um, and I think the last time we talked, we, I mentioned the view out of my office window, and now you're getting to experience it in real life. It's it, pretty nice. It, it's an amazing view. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm looking out the window. At uh, and you might be able to hear it in the background. It's a it's an ag cat or an agricultural aircraft that's flying by. We also have a steerman outside, and and uh, one of my friends is actually getting ready to go fly in that. So that's terrific. Yeah, you, you have a great job here, Eric. And, and, uh, I, I love it. Like I said, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna trade jobs for a month here, and I would be yeah. fine with that. <laughs> I want this back, but yeah. I would love to do your job for a month because I would only work for what like two days of that month. Uh, anyway, no, so. I t- I work ten. <laughs> I work 10 days okay, in a month. Come good. on. Ten, 10 days. All right. That's fine. That's plenty. <laughs> I work but, 35 days a month. Yeah. So you, well, with this podcast, I work a few more, but that's, that's, uh, because this is, this is really important to me to get this information to, to you, the listener about, uh, about your career and all your career questions. There, uh, we have a lot of questions, uh, to go through, but, uh, but before we get started, Eric, uh, has a bit of an announcement. Sure. That Polk State has done some amazing things lately and tell us a little bit about What's just happened and what you're really excited about? Well, it's, it's been a very busy three weeks for us at Polk State, actually. Um, uh, two weeks ago, we received um, approval from the State Board of Education to offer the first public four-year degree in aerospace science in the state of Florida, which is a big deal. Um, there are lots of options for an aerospace education in Florida right now, but those options are extremely expensive because they're all offered from private institutions. Um, our program uh, has the benefit of... Um, a brand new curriculum model, so it's not mired up in decades of old training technology. It takes advantage of what's currently being done in research and making the most advantage of that possible, um, and also offering a very affordable bachelor's degree. And by very affordable, can you maybe give me an idea percentage-wise how much less it would be than, um, say, a private institution? Sure. Well, I mean, if you compare it to Embry-Riddle, everybody knows Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University over in Daytona Beach. Um, you know, a four-year degree there with flight training is going to be somewhere around $280,000, give or take. I mean, there's a there's a window there. Um, our bachelor's degree, um, including flight training, will be just over $80,000, about $82,000. So um, $82,000 is a lot for your education, but it sure beats $280,000. 
Wow, that's incredible. And, that, and I'm assuming there's loans and grants, scholarships sure. and all that they can apply for, same as at, at some exactly. of the larger institutions. So, And for just, veterans who are looking to use uh, VA benefits to finance their flight training through the GI Bill, because we're a state institution, they get to keep 100% of their benefits rather than 60% if they went to a private or independent institution. So benefits all around the, all around the table there. And, uh, that's, that's, that, that was a really significant accomplishment for us. We're very happy to have that degree uh, approved and we're going to start offering the first classes in that program next fall. So less than a year away. I'm pretty excited because it, it, it makes education a little bit cheaper for, for folks and a little less expensive for folks that want to get into aviation. I think right. that's terrific. Uh, anybody can apply to this? To anybody can apply. We're a public country? state of Florida institution. Um, and we're, we're looking to expand the pie. I know you've talked about on this podcast and we've talked individually about the problem of the shrinking pie in aviation, how our total number of pilots just keeps dwindling. And we all know that price is a factor in that. It's just become more and more expensive to pursue pilot certification. Um, and if you're looking to go the career route in commercial aviation, whether that's corporate, charter, airline, whatever your, your uh, focus is, um, the degree piece of it is very important. Um, it's a competitive advantage, if not a requirement, to work uh, for some employers. And uh, offering this degree at an affordable price point in the first place is good. Offering it with the opportunity to access scholarships, grants, loans, other things like that makes it even better. Wow. Now, how do they find out about this? We'll have a link, too, on, on the show notes. Sure. Well, actually, right now, uh, it's more talk than it is actuality. Um, a lot of the curriculum is still in development because we have to offer the program next year. Within the next couple of months, information will start to show up on our website about it. Um, right now, if you want to learn about uh, the first part of our program, the associate's degree, which leads to our bachelor's degree, you can access that information online at polk.edu, P-O-L-K dot E-D-U slash aerospace. Great. And we'll have links on the, on the podcast. That's, that's some really great news. Wonderful to hear. But, uh, one of the reasons I wanted Eric to sit with me today, uh, or there's two reasons. Number one, we came over to play with the Redbird sure. simulator, which was awesome. That was, a, that was a lot of fun. If I'll have a link to that and maybe a video uh, on the, on the show notes about the Redbird full motion type simulator. It's an advanced aviation training device and it's, it's a wonderful way to train pilots and you really are using that uh, resource better than most. Oh, we use it heavily. We, we, we understand there's an advantage um, from the training perspective, obviously, but um, when you're training in Central Florida, having air-conditioned flight training is really nice. <laughs> so um, doing, doing some initial lessons or even uh, recurrent training lessons inside in the air conditioning where it's comfortable, uh, the students really like it. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when my own training it used to be we looked at it and went, oh, man, I have a sim flight today. I want to go get in the airplane. My students are like, sweet, the simulator. Um, I don't have to go fly the airplane today because it saves them a ton of money and it's way more comfortable. And quite honestly, especially with my initial students, because of the fear element in an airplane. I mean, not that it's scary, but there's a certain level of I don't know what I'm doing without the instructor being present. But in the simulator that fear element goes away because we're not above the ground. I don't have that fear of heights or that fear of whatever. Um, and so we see that it's a much more efficient way to teach. The students learn faster and they learn better and they learn cheaper. You know, Eric, some of the people that, that I've talked to at other schools, and I'm sure some of the people listening, uh, have gone to schools where they say, well, we don't need a simulator and uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's better to do everything in the airplane. Uh, what would you tell that person that's shopping for a flight school about when they hear that? It's and, and because my attitude is, I, I think simulators are great, save a lot of money and time, and right. they can tra you can train and do things they can't do. Obviously, I did all of my initial training in an airplane. You know, most of us did. That was the way it was done. Um, and I wouldn't give anything 
to go back and have that experience. We talked before about my first instructor and how valuable that was to me and how we still keep in touch. Um, and, uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up. My, my only thing is that it's just adding the simulator into the training to me is such a confidence builder because I remember when I started flying, I was 13. I saw it on my 16th birthday, huh. which was a Sunday. So I had to drive home with my dad because I had a learner's permit. Okay. So, I mean, like, I've always wanted to do this. But at the same time, there were there were key periods along there when I'm getting ready to go on my first solo cross country. I was 17 years old. I was terrified. I mean, like I'm leaving my hometown in an airplane. I have to go somewhere else 50 miles away and turn on and come home. I was scared to death. If I had been able to do that, to practice that flight in a simulator um, of instructional quality, um, that would have been such a valuable experience to me. How did I get over that fear? I went home and flew it in Microsoft Flight Simulator on my desktop at the house because all of my initial training, even with my instrument training, which again was done primarily in the airplane, I would go home in college, back to the dorm, fire up Microsoft Flight Simulator with a little joystick and practice instrument approaches over and over and over again because it cost me nothing. You know, it's equipment I already had. And, uh, you know, to be quite honest, I know for a fact that I moved through my training faster because I exposed myself to that. So we're Instead of having that be an independent study exercise for students to do in their own home in an uncontrolled environment, we bring that in into the classroom, but also into the flight training as well. For those that are that are thinking of, of using a simulator, uh, don't just think about using it to to further your number of hours or just your your uh, your requirements to check a box. Use it to practice for say an interview, uh, and just to add to that. When I went to the uh, airlines and I knew I'd have to be flying down in Mexico doing a whole bunch of DME arcs and I know I'm going to be tested on that and I didn't do too many, I got in the simulator every day at my local flight school by myself and did one approach after another, after another, after another. When I got to the simulator, it was just like walking. It was yep. that easy. And that was was terrific. And that, you know, I'm a testament to, to using a simulator. And I've I've done that for years. Has gone in solo in a sim, and I know my check rides have gone much easier because of it. Right, just to r- drive that home. Well, Eric, let's get get going with some of these questions here. There's some really good questions from our listeners. I love and, I and love Q and A. This is basically what I do all day. This is, I know. but um, it's <laughs> these are much. I don't want to say they're better questions. They're just much more different questions, and I, I love this stuff. So, so these are some of these. Are, uh, oh, by the way, if you want to write in a question, go ahead. What I'm gonna, what I do is I take out all the personal information. I might use your first name, and that's about it. And uh, and then uh, we'll air them here. I also respond to you in an email. Uh, so we'll get started here with a, a message. It says I'm a, I'm an aviation maintenance uh, technician, engineering student. I would like uh, to know what. Uh, the future is like to work as pilots or mechanics in the aviation field. Thank you. Well, thanks for writing in. Uh, this, uh, as far as the future in aviation for mechanics and in the aviation field in general, there are quite a few jobs that are going to come open. As a matter of fact, uh, Eric just touched on that before about the pilots. It's not just the pilots. People retire in general. You know, there, I, I've been reading lately a lot of different research on engineering uh, jobs and also on IT, information technology jobs, all those people can retire, and they have to retire. We have to replace it. People don't work forever. So, and whatever, whatever career it is, whatever, what job it is, there's going to be a great, great opportunity. Uh, in the piloting jobs, there's going to be an even better opportunity, because right now, you're seeing that happen where, you know, it's a little bit tougher to get 
get pilots into the regionals because they don't have the 1500 hours. Uh, but also what I'm seeing now is, and, and we've already, you know, known about this is a lot of folks at the, at the majors are retiring and people that were on furlough with the majors, they're going back to work. And I just talking to all my friends and myself too, I get calls from airlines saying, Hey, listen, you know, do you want to come in for an interview? Uh, I get responses, you know, do you want to come in for an interview? You didn't hear about that till I think it was 2001, maybe 2003, where we saw that before. So there's lots of opportunities out there, especially in the U S right now. And, uh, and there's, there's, I think there's going to be continue in the aviation mechanic field also, but, but that's for sure. in in, in the, in the airline world as far as flying. Yeah, I would definitely highlight uh, Boeing's most recent market analysis over the next 20 years. They're calling for 500,000 pilots globally and 600,000 maintenance techs. And that's the important thing. When we're talking about aviation as a career path, we really have to touch on the fact that it is a global industry. I have a friend who's in Hong Kong doing simulator training, you know. Never thought she was going to end up over there. That never would have been something that pops into your head going, you know, I, you know what I might do? I think I'll just go over and, and work for Cathay Pacific and do simulator training. Um, it's just, it's one of those things you have to understand. Aviation is an international business. It just is. So when you're coming into it, don't just look at finding a job in your backyard because aviation really is all over the place. And so when we're looking at, uh, you know, when you look at Boeing's market data uh, and what's coming down the pipe, they see a huge need in um, in in the mechanics field and, and not just in basic, you know, turning a wrench type stuff, people with IT backgrounds who can work on the modern airliners of the future, which are computer driven, which have the software skills they need in addition to just being able to turn a wrench. So, um yeah, and, and the pilot side of it is the same way. And when you look at the U.S. airline industry, well, that's one airline industry. We have people all the time taking these lucrative contracts, going over for you know, uh, you know, a year long period, a few years to go over and right seat or left seat a jet in in a foreign country. So those those opportunities are everywhere. You, you have to be willing to be flexible. Yes, that's for sure. You do have to be flexible. You know, and let's talk a little bit more about uh, the quote-unquote pilot shortage. I do get emails every so often, people ask, telling me, well, there's never been a pilot shortage. Uh, I think it's a bit irresponsible to say that, and, and I'll tell you why. When I uh, And I've seen the hiring cycles. I've been through so many of them. I've helped people that have been out of jobs find jobs. There are periods of times where there are shortages. They may last for six months. They may, may last for a few years. But for instance, when in 2001, if you had a commercial pilot certificate, you could get on with an airline. They dropped it below 500 hours as far as actually applying and being able to work there. It's incredible what happened. People were calling, airlines were calling me saying, hey, do you want to come over here? We'll let you fly this shiny jet, that type of thing. Well, that stopped after 9-11, you know, September 11th of 01. And then we saw a big slowdown and it, it brought, it came up again. But what it's happens is this, and this is an observation I've seen over the years, is that the people that I've counseled, they come to me and say, hey, listen, you know, people told me I'd be making six figure incomes by the time I had five years into this industry. Now I'm sitting here making less than if I was working at McDonald's. And the reason being is we had a downturn in the economy. Normally what happens to those people, they get out at that point and they were almost there. Then there's an uptick in the economy and they start hiring at the airlines. They miss that wave and they want to get back into it again. What do they do? They start training. They, they get their resume together. They get hired and all of a sudden they get furloughed again. What they're doing is they keep staying on the backside of that wave, the hiring wave, the shortage periods. And that's what you have to do. You have to ride out those bad times. And that's, but there are such things as shortages and a shortage is, is there's more of a demand than there is supply of qualified pilots. 
We're about to see that with retirements. We're about to see that because of the fact that we have new rules in place as far as uh, uh, rest rules and also new certification rules. Right. So that's a, just a, a comment there. So if you want to just just keep those questions coming in about the, the shortages, quote unquote, uh, in the airline industry. I mean, I've seen it in magazines by people who have been in the industry for a long time saying there there is no such thing. But uh, anyway, so moving on to the next question. Um, I have a question from Adam. He says, uh, I love listening to your podcast. I've been fascinated with flying since I was 12 years old when I took a few flying lessons in England where I grew up. I never progressed further with flying, but always dreamed of becoming a pilot. I'm now 38 years old and live on the west coast of British Columbia in Canada, where I'm married with kids. And I am a construction worker suffering from bad knees, breathing in concrete dust, and working outside in the very wet winters here. Boy, I'm not sure I'd want to do that. I work under the flight path of a small airline operating on DH-2 Beaver float planes and cannot keep my eyes from the sky when they're overhead. I'm now more obsessed and itching than ever to become a pilot here in Canada. I cannot stop thinking of flying. My wife was the one who suggested I follow my dream. I've done lots of research on schools and clubs in the Vancouver area and on the different programs available. My dream is to do an accelerated private pilot license program followed by my commercial pilots and multi-engine IFR and float endorsement. I'd be happy being a DH2 captain or working up to a captain on a King Air, etc., not necessarily doing the major airline thing. I have two major concerns. Number one, my age, but the second is financing. You know, I already have a mortgage and personal loan for the next three years and would need another loan to, to uh, go into the fast track for the pilot, private pilot program for that full-time program. So I can get going as soon as possible. I then need a huge financing for the rest of my training, uh, student loans, student line of credits, etc., I don't know if I'm being unrealistic with my dreams and I'd like to find out very soon so that not to focus on my, uh, and all my time thinking about the only thing and really what to do. If I do manage to finance my training, do you think I'd be able to make a living from flying, pay off the loans at my age? And he, he continues on. He sent me another message. He says, uh, I forgot to say one thing in my last message. If I can finance my, uh, commercial pilot training through loans and student loans, I would be a f- it would be full time, of course. So, wondering how students manage with mortgage payments and having a family to support. So, am I being realistic with a dream? Still, looking forward to your advice. So, got a couple of questions here. At his at his age, is is he uh, able to get into it? I'd say absolutely yes. Uh, and, you know, look at how old I was when I got into it full time. I've been doing this since I was thirty three, but I uh, there's lots of folks that get in. I thought you were in your seventies. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is my my second <laughs> career. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the ones that got the the waiver. You know, <laughs> what are you trying to say? He's looking at me like a fat old guy with gray hair. He's like, yeah, you look like you're in your seventies. No, no, I'm, I'm going to pay for that. Yeah, one you later. are. You I will. <laughs> Wait till you see me fly this. <laughs> but no, it's 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 not too. late. It's never too late. It's just that you have to understand that, and I. I think you do. I think I think from his his questions and his comments, I think he understands the limitations as far as your age. You, you know, we've talked about this before. You're getting up on a seniority list. You you uh, you're limited by your age. But uh, in what he wants to do, I, I don't think there's many limitations. It's funny because I have students from 16 year old homeschool students who are dual enrolled in my college program up to people who are about to hit 60 who are looking for a retirement career. I have a student right now who's uh, in his 60s who's looking to retire. Uh, retire from his second job, uh, move to Hawaii and be a ride operator because he can. Right. You know, I mean, and that's, 
it it really is. It's all over the the map. And I've got I've got your traditional college age students. I've got middle aged people who are looking at you know maybe I want to do this as a career. And I, I like that that he's actually thought this through. It's not just aviation something. It's you know this is kind of the track that I want to go on. I'm not really looking at the airline thing. I'm looking more at the corporate or the feeder type thing. Maybe even some private flying type things. And those opportunities are everywhere. They're everywhere. And now that you're starting to see companies start to get back in the corporate business again, where they're either taking on airplanes, taking on leases, contracting. And when I was at Petri de Cab in Atlanta, that was our entire business model. We had a fleet of airplanes. We did Part 135 um, air charter services for companies that did a lot of travel, but didn't want to maintain their own fleet of airplanes. So we maintained the airplanes, and we flew them all over the southeast to real estate development opportunities. Um and those those opportunities are everywhere, um, especially in the Vancouver area. I mean, I, I would just imagine anytime you go to a large metro area like that, there's business there. There are businesses there who do business in aviation, whether they even realize they do or not. And if you can identify who those people are, um, and you know, opportunities like like this podcast are great in that they sort of open your eyes up to opportunities that you may didn't know exist. Um, Go find that the airline that you're that's flying over your head or whatever. Go find that operation. Find out who they fly for. Find out what everybody does around the airport. Are there companies that periodically or that have pilots? You know, a, a company who owns two airplanes probably has eight pilots. You know, on retainer. So you're you're getting paid a stipend just to be on retainer so they can call you. And then when you fly, they pay you a you know a, a very good hourly rate to do that. So, um, you know, those opportunities are everywhere. It's just with everything else, you have to be willing to look for it. In terms of the financing piece, yeah, okay, it's expensive, and we know that, um, and we've kind of talked about that before. Um, you know, a lot of people do look to go the loan route, um, and that's fine. Um, you know, just be aware that there are tons of scholarships out there. Really, ultimately, what it comes down to is just willing to take on the legwork to search them all out. Um, I think when I went to college, I probably applied for 20 scholarships. I ended up getting five of them. But I got five scholarships. I mean, you're not going to get everything you apply for. Um, and a lot of them are for $500 or $1,000 or a rating, whatever. So you're going to have to apply for multiple scholarships. And you have to be willing to go through the legwork to do that. Anytime you're using someone else's money, it's going to take some work to do that. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not attainable. Because uh, like I said, I have students in all kinds of different walks of life who are doing it. It's just the willingness and dedication to pursue it and see it through. I'm glad you brought up the scholarships because, you know, even at an older age, you know, you can get scholarships. It, it, a lot of these scholarships, it doesn't matter what age you are. I think a lot of people think because they're older they can't obtain this, and there are scholarships out there uh, right. based on, you know, gender, race, whatever. They're, they're out there, so you can find it. We're trying to put together a, a few scholarships. We have a few on our website, and so do you. So it, that's a good place to start, you know, right. and to find Well, those. I mean, AOPA and, in uh, just a couple of weeks is going to be giving away eight $5,000 scholarships at Summit in Texas. Um, you know, yeah, it's eight scholarships and there's a lot of people who apply, but if you don't apply, there's no way to get the money. Um, and you know, these, these opportunities are there. You just have to be willing to seek them out and go after them. And if you look at it from a dollars per hour, it's actually worth, worth quite a bit because if you can get a few thousand dollars. Well, the wonderful. thing is most of these scholarships are going to require letter of recommendation, an essay, some type of thing where you describe who you are and why you want this. You're mostly going to reuse that stuff. You're going to put together a really good packet, and then you're going to tweak it to the different institution that you're sending it to. So if you're sending it to, uh, you know, a, an airline, 
and you want to talk about, you know, careers in aviation, you're looking for some kind of endowment from a foundation or something like that. Well, what does that foundation represent? Well, they're in construction. We'll talk about how important aviation is to construction industry and how you have to fly uh, builders around to different sites to look for the right place to build this condominium and whatever. It's just knowing the audience that you're writing to and you're tweaking the same thing over and over again. Yeah, there, there. I'm glad you've mentioned that. That there's so many other avenues you can go, and and the aviation is used in, in so many aspects in our life that we don't even realize. We might talk a little bit about that too later. But but he asked something else. Let's get back to his question about knowing people that actually are paying off loans. I know quite a few people that I work with that are paying off loans. Of course, most of the people I fly with are captains who've paid off their loans a long time ago. But I've flown with a lot of folks in, that were in my right seat that are have one hundred and fifty, two hundred fifty thousand dollars in student loans. You wouldn't happen to know anybody that that's paying off a loan, <laughs> which um, I am. Yeah. Um, actually, so when uh, when I went to college, I met my wife in college. Actually, um, and it was a rather male dominated program. So I found her the second day of our freshman year and followed her around for three months until I got her to talk to me. You have to find your your aviation related women pretty quickly. Yes, you did. Um, so anyway. Um, my wife, well, we talked about this, I think, in, in the podcast we did, where she began the training route and went through her private instrument, decided it just wasn't what she wanted. She wanted to do something different. Um, I still have her student loans. Because student loans are so low in interest rate, it doesn't make sense for me to pay them off. It makes sense for me just to pay them every month. I mean, you're looking at uh, something like, I think it's $132 a month um, that's stretched out. I don't remember what the term was, but it's like a... When it was a fixed interest rate, it was like 1.8% interest. Now, it's higher now than it was then, certainly, but it just it doesn't make sense for me to go through the trouble of paying them all off in one lump sum for the amount of money that I'm going to spend over the term. And student loans are designed to do that. Now, if you are if you want to get really creative, um, there's government programs for student loan forgiveness. So you rack up a bunch of student loan debt, and in certain career fields, if you work in different government programs, they will forgive all or part of your student loan debt because it's federal loan money that pays for that. I'm talking about student loans, not personal loans you get from your bank. Um, for example, if you go into education, right, you go teach at an inner city school for three years, they'll forgive part of your student loans to get your teaching certificates. Okay. Um, pilot programs. Um, I know a guy who ended up going into uh, the mission field. He's uh, He flies... Uh, uh, South America and Africa do a mission work and the organization he went to pay for or went to work for uh, paid back part of his student loans for him. So those opportunities are there and it's just, again, it's finding those things, figuring out what opportunities are available to you and just searching them out. The, as far as paying those off, though, the, the, I think the other loans he was talking about, personal loans, mm-hmm. uh, that is something you really you really need to look at because those those can get rather high. Right. Uh, they could be almost like rent, mm-hmm. and and so that's important. And, and you have to look at, at your loan package and, and mm-hmm. see what you can do. That's something else that I've been doing a lot of research on, and I know there's not that many loans for aviation uh, out there because of, right. of the past. And uh, and personal well, loans for flight training, are gonna, they're going to have a high interest rate. They, they are, and you're going to there's a there's a juggling act that has to go on there um you know and, and that's why a lot of people talk about getting into and i think this is maybe his concern getting into the career aviation track is a young man's profession a lot of you people know. will say that and and I, I i see countless examples of how that's not necessarily true <laughs> you being a prime example um and you know i see people who are currently going through you know my program that i get to interact with every day who 
um, you know, maybe it's a night job, maybe it's some other, but it's about how much you want it. I mowed so many yards when I was a kid. Um, I, I will smell like grass for the rest of my life because I, I just, that's what I had to do to get an hour of flight time a month. And I would have done anything for that little bit of flight time that I got. Um, and I mean, it's just the people who have the passion to do it, find a way to do it. That's for sure. And that's if you have that passion. Uh, but yeah, it's something that you really need to look at in your own personal life. If that, if that's something you can put up with, with the, uh, the payments. So look at that and try to figure out what your payments will actually be and see if you can handle that with it, with a family. It's pretty tough. Well, thanks for that question, Adam. Now, moving on to the next question is about colorblindness. This is a really interesting one. Uh, from my best uh, internet research, 7-10% to 10% of the male population has some form of color vision deficiency, myself included, and perhaps a similar percentage of your listeners. After I learned I was colorblind, I thought the dreams of becoming a commercial pilot were gum, for my only option was the sport pilot route. After doing my own research regarding the medical process, I realized that this is not the case, and I continued on to obtain my private pilot license. With the increase in airline hiring and the majority of flights occurring during daytime, is airline piloting out of the question? I would be interested to hear what others with the not valid for night flying or color signal control restriction on their medical have done in their professional flying careers, how they've established themselves, and what they've done to find success as professional pilots despite any obstacles or shut doors due to their color deficiency. These are articles. I, there are articles I've uh, read regarding the science behind why I and others are colorblind, but not much on why I can do or what I can do with my professional piloting career or how and where I can find success aside from the sport pilot instructor. Are there other opportunities out there? I've heard of agricultural, forest firefighting, pipeline patrol, but not sure how to find entry into these positions. I'd be excited to hear more about the opportunities that are available, as I love to fly and would love to make it a career. Thank you for responding to my previous questions, and I appreciate your work to inform your listeners of the opportunities that are out there. Well, thanks for that uh, kind comment. But I will say this. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher to get on with an airline, uh, and I'll tell you why. There's a lot of flying at night. I, I've never done so much flying at night. As a matter of fact, uh, there's, uh, let's see, the last month, I did uh, about 30 hours actually at nighttime. So you're you're really looking at flying at night. It's not you're not being quite as useful to an airline, uh, but there's so many other jobs out there flying. So so don't just look at that airline. Um, there's uh, there are some people with restrictions that are at the airlines, but I, I will say it's pretty darn difficult to to get into an airline with those type of restrictions. But does that mean you can't fly? No. There well, are. Other I would just there. chime in there and say um, I'm I'm in the same club with you. I'm colorblind. Um, and, uh, I, I guess I didn't know I was colorblind until they put the little colored dots in front of my face. I'm like, that's pretty. Like, what do you, what do you see? I'm like a bunch of colored bunch dots. Of colored dots. <laughs> and then we get to the end and it's like 23. I see that one. And they said, well, that you're supposed to see 23 if you're colorblind. I'm like, crap. Okay. Well, oh, well, okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, and, uh, at the time what I did was to take a, um, a different test, an ophthalmologist's office. Uh, it was basically little colored trays, and I had to put them in order. Um, and I had a letter, and I carried it around to all my medical exams after that and uh, showed this letter, and the person would validate it. But when uh, medical leadership changed at the FA, that test was no longer approved anymore. So when I went for my next medical exam, of course, I had no idea that that had happened. And I take my little letter, and they're like, oh, no, we have to deny your medical. I'm like, mm, no, let's not do that. Um, you can just put the color vision restriction on there, and I'll deal with it. Um, so, 
over a period of time, and it did take some time, but I was able to signal the, the color light test. I don't know if you've gone down that road, but if you've looked into going and taking the signal light test, that is your best way to deal with that problem. Because really, especially if you're red-green colorblind like I am, the FA just wants to make sure you can see light gun signals. That's it. That's the only thing that's important. Blue-yellow is a different issue. That becomes a night flying, a real night flying problem. Um, but red-green colorblindness, uh, very easy. You go stand at the base of an air traffic control tower with an FA inspector. They shoot the light guns at you. You tell the examiner what color the light gun is, and they take the restriction off your medical certificate. If you haven't pursued that avenue, please do, because uh, it's not a, you don't get a, a separate authorization from the FAA. You just get a regular medical certificate, and I have an exemption that I never have to take a color vision test ever again. I've demonstrated that I have the ability to see the colors the FA wants me to see, and that's an over-and-done-with issue. When that happened, I was actually working professionally already in aviation, so I was not able to fly at night for a period of time until I could get that restriction off of my medical certificate. But um, you know, the company that I was flying for was very aware of what was going on. At the time, I was doing a lot of professional flying, and I was also doing a lot of flight instruction. So for my students who needed nighttime, I sent them with another instructor because that was just the reality of it. And for you know most of the flights I was doing professionally, uh, they were daytime flights, but I couldn't take the night flights. And that was primarily in the Part 135, Part 91 environment. So, yes, don't give up because you're colorblind. If I had stopped when I was 16, um, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with Carl today. So please keep going. Look for the opportunity that's there. Um, you have to jump through the FA's hoops. That's just the, the nature of the game. But there are opportunities there. I found mine. So. And, and I'm glad you told that story, and that, that's terrific. So if anybody has questions, that's you're a great person to go to. Is but there are also some. So he touched upon how he got his, but how you got yours, Eric. And and one thing I'd like to do is is point people towards some other websites where they can read all about the process. And and I'll have links to that. I have that out there. The advisory circulars, so you can read through the whole process, like like he just told you. Because there's other things you can do, and they're they're outlined in there. So if you're nervous about it, it'll tell you exactly what you need to do before you go for your medical exam. So just don't just take his advice. Uh, go ahead and read it for yourself. It's Absolutely. out there and it'll explain to you what you need to do and make you a lot less nervous. If you can get that off your medical, that's terrific. And but, if, you're, uh, if you are an AOPA member um, or you're thinking that that might be something you'd want to do, Aircraft Owners and Pilot Association has tons of resources regarding color vision, which is what I relied on to get uh, through the process. Because like you, uh, you know, like your question here, um, how, where do I go? I can't, I, I can figure out why I'm colorblind, but I can't figure out what to do with it. AOP has a very good step by step guide to colorblindness, what to do. Um, I used it myself. It was a great resource. So. Yeah, and we'll have that link to the AOPA guide and also to the FAA's advisory circular. I think that, that'll really help you and the other folks out there that are worried about their colorblindness. And, and yes, I, I do fly with some people that were quote unquote deemed colorblind, but the, if you, if you can't pass any of those, then, then you, you're going to have an issue getting on with a, an airline. So if you, if you can't get that off your, your medical, but, uh, most people can, just like you have. Uh, so you, you may not truly have that issue, but, Say you do. Let's just say you do. There are jobs out there where you can fly during the day and, and have your commercial license. And like you just did, you said you taught. I mean, you don't have to teach at night. You can let someone else do the, the night flying. So there's lots of opportunities out there. So thanks for that question. If you have any other color deficiency questions, go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 41, and we will put the links to all the uh, re uh, resources that I talked about. The next question uh, it says, Hi, Carl. I just stumbled across your podcast, and I've really enjoyed listening to you and Tom. Uh, Tom Wachowski, who's uh, been on the podcast a few times. He's also a, a corporate pilot. 
I love hearing from people that are enthusiastic about flying and about aviation careers, like Eric here. Please keep it up. First, a comment and then some questions. My comment is to the young people out there that want to fly as a career and maybe rethinking it because of the time, effort, and years of paying your dues before you make captain in the big airline. Yes, it will take time and effort, but probably some rough hours, not some phone routes, and not great pay to start. But most careers are like that. It takes 10, 15, 20 years of paying your dues before you, quote-unquote, make it in any career, not just the airlines. Don't let the effort dissuade you from your goal. The other careers are really not much easier or less expensive if you have to go to college, and they certainly are less fulfilling if you have the flying bug. Well, thanks. That, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> a little bit about me. It says I'm a 43-year-old private pilot who started flying three years ago. I work full-time in one of those high-tech, high-paying careers most people dream of, and all I can dream of is flying. Sometimes the fact that I need to fund my flying is the main thing that keeps me in my day job. I earned my instrument rating last year, started commercial training a couple weeks ago, and I'm considering training for the CFI as well. I have about 380 hours of flying under my belt, half of it cross-country time. I'm planning on switching to an aviation career after my daughter finishes high school three years from now. I have my eye on a career in corporate, charter, air taxi, or sightseeing flying instead of the airlines, though if an airline knocked on my door, I wouldn't send them away. Boy, I hope not. (laughs) Since I'm planning on three years before I make the change to flying full-time for a living, I was wondering, is there a particular type of flying companies like to see in a pilot's logbook? I love to fly cross-country, so most of my my, non-training flying time is spent doing that. Is that type of flying that companies like to see? Or do they not care? Do they care if the flying is retract or not? Do I need to fund my own multi-engine rating to be considered for corporate or charter flying? Are there opportunities for single-engine pilots out there? Finally, I'm flying on a special instance medical. Will that hurt my chances of an aviation career? Thank you for doing your podcast. It's a real inspiration. Please keep it up, and we'll keep listening. Blue skies. Well, thanks. That was terrific. Uh, Great questions. And uh, as as far as, gosh, there, there, there's there's quite a few questions here. And Eric, you know, on a special issuance medical, I mean, what would you say to somebody like that? No, if you're, if you have a medical certificate, that means you meet the requirements. That's what you have to understand. The, the, the normal FA medical certificate is a medical certificate. A special issuance medical certificate is still a medical certificate. Does that mean that, I mean, it really depends on what your special issuance is for, you know, and that, that will impact the opportunities that are available. I mean, if you have a heart attack every six weeks, that's, you know, that's an issue. Um, you know, if you had, you know, a, a, a fibrillation 10 years ago and you're going to keep that special issuance forever and there's nothing you can do about it, well, that's fine. You have a clean bill of health. You know, you just have to understand a medical certificate is a medical certificate and you need a medical certificate to fly commercially. That's that's my first point. Um, second of all, um, you know, find. And it sounds like you've got a really good idea of kind of what your niche in aviation, where you want to fit in, and that's great. Keep your eyes open. Understand that um, most of us in that position diversify. I was never just a flight instructor or just a corporate pilot or just a this or that. Um, and Carl is not just an airline pilot. It, Part of being in this business is understanding that you, you will more than likely figure out that your niche is in several different places. And like your high-paying, great career now, um, when you put all your eggs in one basket, it tends to not be as fulfilling because your entire existence is justified based on one thing. 
where I get to fly. I get to teach. I get to watch light bulbs go on. I get to talk to Carl and help Carl inspire other people who are thinking about careers in aviation. So all of that combined give me a lot of fulfillment in what I do in aviation. So just keep your eyes open. Keep your mind open to other possibilities that will come up within the aviation sphere. Um, uh, demo pilots. Uh, there's so many different careers. I know we've talked about these before. But um, you know, just be aware that you know, a special issuance medical is still a medical certificate. That's the first step. Don't let that hold you back. Just like with the color vision issue. Okay. You, there's a limitation. Figure out what you can do with it and, and find the job that's right for you. And, and to add to that with the special issuance, you know, you may wind up explaining it. Just have your explanation ready when you're going to interview. That's that simple. So make sure you can explain what happened with your medical and that type of thing. So there's also uh, another question she had about the, uh, single engine pilots. There's quite a few, uh, single engine pilot jobs out there. Uh, there's, uh, some people that fly Pilatuses. There's people that fly Bonanzas for people. There's, uh, a lot of folks out there that have, uh, corporate aircraft that are single engine and are smart enough to hire a pilot to fly them around. As a matter of fact, I just sold my partnership in one. One of my partners, he owns a business and he flies around, f- uh, Florida and he hired a pilot to fly him around. He's not a pilot himself, uh, but, he, he was his son's thinking about taking lessons, but he's not going to have his son fly him around. He's smart enough to have a professional pilot go out there and fly them. And there's so many examples of single engine pilots out there. But more opportunities as far as higher pay usually are in the multi engine range. So that's something to think about. If but if that's what you don't want to do, that's great. You know, I have another person that I know that's down in Key West who flies around in float planes all the time and that's all she wants to do is just fly float planes and that's all single engine so there's some right. opportunities there too yeah exactly I mean the key there is just to find and, and just really to keep your mind open and to realize you know there were I was flying King Airs and Bonanzas and uh, little bitty small training airplanes too um, and that's really what makes it fun is being able to constantly jump around to different things. It's enjoyable to do it that way. I mean, imagine going and sitting in the same cubicle every day, typing the same thing onto your computer, you know, having the same routine. It's boring. You know, it it is. It it will eventually, it doesn't matter how much they pay you, you're going to be bored to death. In aviation, find the different opportunities that are there to do those different things because in addition to just having different career opportunities that are going to net you more money in the long run, she's a much more fulfilling job. And, you know, she touched on something else, too, there, as far as, you know, the type of flying. Just enjoy what you're doing. Uh, some people get so wrapped up in, I got to have this kind of flying. I got to do this. I have to do that. Do what you enjoy. And the, and the rest of it is it will probably follow later. Uh, I know when I got hired, I had very little as far as multi-engine time when I first got hired with the airlines. But we just got a twin, and I explained to him, hey, I'm just starting to get all my hours in on the twin. But as far as the type of time, like retract, stuff like that, they do look at that. I had an interesting conversation with a recruiter at an airline, and I asked them about somebody who's got only only a turbine, uh, excuse me, a, a propeller time, turboprop it was. And this person had been flying C-130s for the Air Force. And was that going to be a problem? He said, well, you know, it's it's really, it's not a problem because of their background. They look at the individual and they say, okay, this person's been flying a turboprop, not a jet, so they've been flying a lot slower. And but because of the fact they're in the military, we know they have the discipline and they're they're really gung ho, and they'll they'll be able to overcome that fairly fairly quickly when they do come to the airlines. And that's why they don't just grab you out of a C one thirty and put you in an A three twenty. That's why yeah. you do training and you go through certification process within or the, the checkout process within the airline. Um, that 
The job of the recruiter um, is to identify cultural fits for their business model. And every airline has a different culture. And that's fine. But that's what they're looking They're looking for the fit that they need to, to fill a void within their organization. And they expect they're going to be doing training for you. And very rarely does a recruiter get to go out and find somebody who has thousands of hours in the exact airplane that they're going to fly when they get to that airline. It, it's rare. It happens. But primarily recruiters are looking at people who, again, like you said, at the individual, the quality of the person, not necessarily how much uh, you know, jet time they have in their logbook or whatever the case may be. And with that said, there there are some that airlines that will just go through and do a do a search online because most things are online nowadays as far as applications, and they will just say, "Okay, I want everybody with five, more than five thousand hours PIC turbine." It's a, some are a little short sighted like that, but but if you uh, know somebody or or you can sell yourself personally, I think that's a that's a better idea. But thanks thanks for that uh, that question. The next question that, uh, is talks about pilotless aircraft. Uh, it says, "Hi Carl, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, and I'm curious about your opinion on the future of civil aviation regarding pilotless aircraft. In the last half decade, there have been huge advances in UAV technology, and do you think that?" In saying the next 30 to 50 years, we will see the cockpit be reduced to one person, just monitoring systems, or possibly to no one. Personally, I don't think so, and and I'll I'll tell you why. And I'm a big fan of UAS, unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, you know, if you want to see all the comments I've made or all the news appearances I made, go out to uh, expertaviator.com. You can read about it. Uh, my my pilot friends are are not too thrilled about my stance on it. I'm fascinated by it actually. Uh, and if you want to hear about the advances in the uh, UAVs, go to the UAV Digest podcast.com the uav digest podcast a couple of people i know are running that it's a wonderful show if you want to learn about jobs in the uav world uh, as far as the the people that are involved in the cockpit you got to remember the pilot isn't just flying the airplane the pilot's doing a lot more than that there's a whole bunch of decisions that you're making uh, i'll give you a good example a few days ago i had a passenger that was uh, hurt themselves in the back was spewing blood everywhere and so now the computer is going to have a tough time trying to assemble all this information that's coming in at the same time while we're dealing with thunderstorms outside the airplane and trying to figure out what we're going to do next. So we have all these things as far as where we're going to divert to. Can we continue to our our destination? How is it progressing? This is all real time. So you're having all these things going on at once. Have we been able to get this under control? You really do need a, a person in that cockpit. And a great example is when Let's say birds hit an aircraft and both engines uh, conk out. Uh, where are you going to put the airplane down? Uh, if it's a if it's a computer on board, they may not find the the opportune uh, spot in time. Uh, a good example is on the Hudson, the miracle on the Hudson. But there's so many other things that we do as airline pilots are not just flying the airplane. So no, I, I don't think that's going to happen as far as uh, actually with passengers. You know, when you're 500 feet, 500 miles out over the ocean, you know, don't you want to have somebody out there that has some skin in the game? That's my feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't see the commercial cockpit being replaced with, um, you know, autonomous uh, computer technology. Uh, not in my lifetime, anyway. Um, at the same time, I do see unmanned aircraft coming into the national airspace system very soon. Um, just from the experience I do have uh, working with the FAA on other projects, and and uh, I, the unmanned aircraft system thing is happening. It just is because. When you look at the advancements in uh, military application where we're not putting pilots in danger, we're not putting ground troops in danger because we can fly a computer-controlled aircraft over an area, do surveillance, do munitions drop, whatever the case may be. If we're doing uh, 
aerial observation for firefighting. Well, it costs money to put an airplane, and, and there's risk in putting a crew up flying around a blaze like that to determine wind patterns and things like that. With, uh, with unmanned aircraft, you've got, like you said, there's no skin in the game. Um, and there are, there are definitely applications where that's just, it's going to happen. Um, the, the, the market, the market and the possibilities and the potential risk benefits are, are just too big. That's coming. And I, I know what you mean about pilots freaking out about unmanned aircraft technology. Um, that's, you know, one of the directions that, uh, that we're looking at and moving to in the future because there is, there is a certainly an international need for, uh, unmanned aircraft operations, but it's becoming more of a domestic issue. And what, has been research for a long time is starting to shift a lot more toward practical application. We're seeing a lot more authorization letters being issued. So, I mean, it's a reality. It's coming, and um, and it's going to open up a completely new job market for pilots because um, you're not referred to as a pilot now. You're referred to as an operator because in addition to you know flying the aircraft and all unmanned aircraft quote unquote fly in a different way some you program coordinates you don't actually physically touch flight controls and fly them others you do at you have a joystick and rudder pedals and you're you know sort of hand flying the thing but every system is different and so operators will have to be certified just like they are for jet aircraft to type rated basically for different types of unmanned aircraft operations and so it's a whole new possibilities coming up in in the short term but uh i mean this is within a decade this is going to be something that that we're all talking about in a much more intimate way and and what i'll do too is as far as uh my feelings on it i'll, I'll leave links out there you know i i describe it as the golden age uh, of uh, unmanned aircraft systems you know if you remember the golden age of flight it was a wonderful time it was amazing we've got a lot of really cool Art Deco airports because of it, but we also had a lot of crashes, and I think we're we're going through that period now. But but the difference is we don't we're we don't believe in any type of 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 putting people in danger, you know. And, and uh, collateral damage is not something that that you will see in the United States here. Uh, we we definitely will do this one step at a time and very carefully. So yes, I, th- I think it's coming. I don't think they're going to get rid of airline pilots anytime soon. We're coming to the. We got one more uh, enough time for just one more question. We're coming to the end of this episode, uh, and uh, we'll get in one more from uh, Cody. Writes in, and uh, he says, uh, "Hi, Carl. My name is Cody, and I'm starting up college for the second time. Though I'm only 20." I graduated high school early at 17 and went straight to school and needless to say, messed it up. My problem now is I have about three more semesters, including summer, to finish my associates from a local community college before transferring to one of my main state, my many state school online programs for my BA. I'm planning on attending a fast-track school that will hire me as a CFI upon completion. Though I would flight instruct anywhere as I feel I will love and do that for my entire career. I know the regional is only requiring an associate's degree, so my original plan was to finish up my associate's degree and then head to flight school. Then, while instructing and eventually working for the regionals, slowly get my BA online before eventually moving to the majors. But with the huge hiring booms and signing bonuses going on now, I really feel as if I should start now. So do you think I should take a semester off, go to flight school, then while instructing, finish my associate's degree online, or stick with my original plan? Uh, just a, a quick note on as far as getting your associate's degree with a regional. It is something that's that's fairly important to get. 
Um, some will hire you without it, uh, knowing that you probably won't be able to go anywhere afterwards. And that's uh, and boy, I've heard that from some recruiters is that you don't have the associates. They're they're almost happy about it because they know it's going to be somewhat difficult for you to get it while you're flying. Not impossible, difficult. And they know you're not going to go move on to the to the majors. Uh, some of the folks that are giving uh, those bonuses that may not be forever uh, uh, signing bonuses and also retention bonuses that are happening now. Uh, I would I would say that you you really should try to get that that BA before you move on. The advice I've given to some people is get the BA, go work for an airline, and, and get your excuse me your associates. Get your associates before you get to a, a regional. If you get your associates, you go to the regional and you you want to finish up your your bachelor's. It's it's a little bit difficult, and the people I've given advice to do that, it's taking them longer usually than they expected. Because what happens is they get married, have kids, or, or something else happens in life. So, so be very careful and know that you're going to be disciplined enough to finish that up. You know, go in there with your eyes wide open, wide open to finish up your degrees. Uh, I don't know if you've, you know, some people have done that. I, I do. Um, I, I know some people that have gone that direction. Um, I would almost recommend that you, you go the associate's degree route, seek out, um, while doing your pilot training, get completely done. Get to the flight instructor level, and then rather than move to the regionals immediately, I know this is sounds like bad advice off the cuff, but just hear me out. Remain as a flight instructor because it'll be much easier for you to finish your bachelor's degree while you're working as a flight instructor. Build up a rapport with you know clients. You'll get some money rolling in, which will help with the cost of the bachelor's degree. And then pursue the regionals after that. That I mean, that would be my advice because I've been there where it's like, well, no, I'll get that degree. And I've talked to people. Well, yeah, but I'm going to take this job because it's open now, but I'll finish that degree. And it just doesn't happen. I mean, maybe 20% of the time. And I, you sound like you've got your stuff together. And I, I, I like that. You, you definitely thought this out. But I would definitely recommend to you that you at least consider, what if I did the finish the degree that I'm working on now, went the flight instructor route, because all you're going to be, you're still getting paid, rather It's not great money. I mean, it's, you're not going to be, you know, six figures, but you'll be making money. And, but more importantly, you'll be building flight time. Take, take that time when you have more opportunity to devote to your, to your schoolwork, get your bachelor's degree done. By the time you get done with that, you're going to have more hours than you would have had going to the regionals anyway. It's, it's just going to make you more hireable. So, I mean, you're looking at a bonus today. Or more retention later on. Honestly, to me, education first, do the flight instructor thing, get some hours under your belt, and then you're more hireable later on. You know, it's interesting bringing that up because I, I've worked with a lot of folks that can't get on with the majors because they don't have their bachelor's. And if they just had their bachelor's degree, they would be hired even though they have no pilot and command time. Uh, because they say, okay, do you have your pilot and command time? No. Oh, do you have your bachelor's? Yes. How many hours do you have? 6,000 hours. It's in the right seat, but it's 6,000 hours. That's a lot of experience. We'll hire you. I've seen them do that. Uh, if you decide not to get any degrees, here's a caveat. You can get on with a major with no degree. You don't have an associate's. You don't have a bachelor's. If you have 15,000 hours or, say, just 10,000 hours, you probably will be able to get on with a major. But just remember, that's 10,000 hours. That's a long time from now. And you know what happens? I, and I've seen this happen. I, and I, I agree with what you said. If you can get that, that education done as quick as possible, that there's – there's people that get stuck at the regionals. I'll tell you why. That six-figure income does happen at the regionals. You know, five, ten years down the line, all of a sudden you're making the six figures, and you're like, oh, boy, should I make that jump to the majors? And that's a tough one. That, believe me, it's a tough I've been there. 
And, uh, it's really tough to say to yourself, gee, I, I, and if I have a kid, if I have a fa- you know, I have a family, I have a house, am I going to do that? Am I going to jump to the majors and go back to poverty level wages? I might not. So, so it is good to get everything done. The, the best route to go, get your bachelor's, get all that done, get to the airlines and, and, and move on. But, uh, but you have to, you have to answer that question yourself. Right. You really do. It, that's what's important is, is that, do you think you'd, you'd be able to do that? Uh, like you said, most people don't. Uh, but you may be that one person that can. But really, look, you got to look inside yourself and, and decide that. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not one of those things you can try out for a week and then change your mind. I mean, once you make that commitment to go in one direction or the other, that's a decision. So it's something that does require a, a, a lot of thought. And it seems like, obviously, you're, you're giving it some thought. And the fact that you're asking questions is good. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, you know, to the extent you you're, you can... Attend career fairs, talk to recruiters, talk to college programs. Um, you're more than welcome to email me. I'll talk to you about what we're doing here if you like. Um, but j- just make sure you have all the information you need to make an informed decision. Don't let, and I've, I have been in this position myself where the passion for aviation and the opportunity of a, of a job right in front of me led me to make a rash decision that Two weeks later, I was like, that was a really bad decision. <laughs> so just make sure that, you know, when, and like you said, you know, the airlines come and they're like, what you can, you want to come interview with us? We'd hire you. Here's what we're going to pay you. And it starts to sound really nice. Just make sure you're making informed decisions. Don't, don't make any decision in a split second because if you think, well, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to have this chance again. Because like you said a minute ago, there's all, there's always, this is a, this is a cyclical industry. We go up, we come back down. Don't get, don't chase the wave. Make sure you're on the leading edge of the wave or or wait it out. Don't get in a situation where you're setting yourself up for years of misery because if you do that you're gonna you're gonna lose the passion it's gonna go away you're gonna you're gonna talk yourself into the fact that you don't like aviation anymore and don't do that you know it, it, that's a great point you know I've always told people don't don't chase the wave just get in that ocean because you're gonna love it you know you look at these I see a lot of surfers and they're that way doesn't matter if it's a small wave they want to be out there trying to surf it so jump in the ocean enjoy it I definitely would enjoy do that. Well, you know, I appreciate your being here. We're going to have to, to uh, cut this off here because we're at that hour mark. Uh, Eric, uh, how can they get in touch with you? If you want to contact me, please feel free to do so by email E, as in my first name, Eric, E. Crump, C-R-U-M-P, at polk, P-O-L-K dot E-D-U. More than happy to swap emails with you, set up a time. If you want to talk, we can talk on the phone. Happy to do a live online meeting with you as well, if you like. Well, folks, I really appreciate you coming here. A- AviationCareersPodcast.com. If you, if you enjoyed listening to this, sign up for our newsletter. Sign on to our website and become a member. Uh, we have a lot more questions. Eric has agreed to uh, come back on again on an, another episode, and we're going to continue these questions. If so, if you didn't hear your question answered in this one, we're going to have it on a future podcast, and you'll be uh, hearing from Eric soon. So, you know, keep in mind your goal. Enjoy the journey. This is a great industry. It's a lot of fun no matter what it is, whatever life you want to design, whatever career you design for yourself, that's what you should do. And I know you can do it. And I, and you know what? If if you ever want to talk to somebody, if you want to hear some positive thinking, come here, aviationcareerspodcast.com. People like Eric Crump and, uh, and all the other folks that we have on here are just some terrific people and, and passionate about aviation. We all love flying. And uh, till we next episode, safe flying, enjoy the journey.
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.